Hey there, creative people. Welcome to this episode of And So The Mind Reels podcast, which I believe would be episode 11, if anyone is counting. This one is called Critical Creativity, and we're going to be exploring the world of reviews versus criticism. You see, Way back in the day, I used to write music reviews for a local entertainment newspaper, and I would really, really, really try to keep my own personal opinions and beliefs out of it. It should be about the piece, not about me. But you know what? I did not always succeed. I mean, I always thought that personal preferences should not really play a role in reviews or criticisms of any art form. But also what I realized is that how using opinions and criticism actually can lead to making your mind creative. Huh, check it out. Greetings and welcome to And So The Mind Reels podcast. I am your host, Lee Mueller. In the upcoming episodes, I want to explore the creativity aspect just a little bit more. I touched on it earlier and basically that was the genesis of this whole idea for this podcast was to explore imagination, ideas, and creativity. Recently, I was invited to be a guest speaker into a virtual classroom up in Wakefield, North Carolina with some great students who had been studying some of my plays and wanted to ask me some questions. And as always, students have really great questions that make me think, well, why did I do that? Or why did I make this choice? Or where did this idea come from? And the whole creative thing started redeveloping in my mind and I thought hey you know what let's go back and talk about creativity but I want to start in a kind of an interesting spot here I want to talk about opinions because a lot of people have a lot of opinions about creativity and how to be a creative person I'm sure there's lots of books that you could order online that talk about hey this is how you be a creative person but you know you can subscribe to those you can read those and I'm sure there's some great insights into it and hopefully this also will be a great insight into that as well so where I want to start here is I want to talk about as I said opinions and basically that was germinated by the current condition now as I record this because it's election time the election just happened and I've discovered there's a whole lot of people in this world who want to tell you what to think who to vote for, how you should do it, where you should go, what shoes you should wear, how you should comb your hair, the whole thing. And I thought, you know what? This is ironic because I think this is a free country and we're all free to do whatever we want want to do and make the choices that we want to make. Yet, you want to tell me what, you know, that this is not a political diatribe by any means, just kind of an observation. Along those same lines... Let's start here. A while back, I read a review of one of my plays called Murder Me Always was the name of the play. I read 
a review of it online. And it reminded me of an annoying habit that some reviewers or critics have. And I know wherever I speak because I myself at a time was a reviewer, a music reviewer. Many years ago, I wrote music reviews for a local St. Louis entertainment newspaper called Spotlight. Spotlight was started by a really good friend of mine, Bob Baker, who came up with the idea of doing a weekly entertainment newspaper that would cover all sorts of entertainment in the uh, St. Louis area, performing arts, music, concerts, different venues, etc. And over the time, it kind of evolved into basically a music-oriented paper. That's where I came in. I was one of the music reviewers in the paper. And how it would work is myself and others would come in once a week or once a month and go through the bins and look at all the regional and local uh, recordings that had been sent in. I'm talking there were cassettes. I mean, this is going back. So this kind of dates when this was happening. Bands were still sending in cassettes. There were CDs. Sometimes there was even vinyl. We would grab a handful or an armful of them, take them home, listen to them over and over, and then eventually crank out reviews that were published in the paper. I wrote reviews. I did not write criticisms. Okay, so you're telling me there's a difference between reviews and criticisms? There's a difference between critics and reviewers? Yes, Virginia, yes there is. A reviewer, as the name implies, reviews the product. A reviewer will basically tell you what you can expect. How, the what, the where, the when, the why. Whether it be music or literature or a movie or a play. For example, my job as a music reviewer was to tell the reader about a particular artist or band's release. What style of music was it? Uh, how many songs were on there? Uh, who the musicians were? Basically summarize it without interjecting too much of my own personal preferences or opinions. Now, a critic, on the other hand, a critic will just infuse his or her opinion all over the place. For example, a critic might say, The third song is dreadful. It sounds like two hippos mating in a shower. It sounds as if the melody was lifted straight out of Led Zeppelin II, as if Paganini had collaborated with Wagner and created a ballet. A good critic will also attempt to back up any opinion that they express with some evidence. Sometimes, let's put parentheses around that. Sometimes, probably not at all, but sometimes they do. In a nutshell, a reviewer tells you what you can expect, and a critic gives you a personal opinion and expects you to feel the same way they do. As a music reviewer, there were times I was guilty of letting my opinion slip out. And at that point, it could be said, I became a critic. 
But the one thing I would never do is to coat a review with my own personal preferences. I might have told you my opinion, but I try to keep my personal preferences or beliefs out of it. This is the annoying habit I talked about earlier. Opinions are fine, but personal preferences disguised as an opinion or a criticism really has no place in there. But that's my opinion. So, for example, as a music reviewer, if I was chosen to write a review of a country and western album or recording, I would in no way ever start off my review stating, well, you know what? I hate country and western music. So, would you be surprised if I don't really like the album? I mean, I have read this. I have seen people do that, write reviews of music genres that they absolutely abhor, hate, despise, and will tell you right off the beginning. So why even read it? Because you've already kind of crapped all over it. I would never criticize a particular passage of music or a particular choice in there with my own personal preference. Like, for example, I would not say, well, you know, on the third lead break in this song, it's obvious, it's obvious they used a Fender Stratocaster. But, oh, how I wish they would have used a Gibson Les Paul. It has a better tone and would have suited that solo so much better. Okay, in both cases there, with the country and western thing, and the preference on the guitar chosen, the line of criticism has crossed over into a vastly new area, and it becomes just a self-serving essay on personal taste. Hey, look at me. This is what I like. This is all about me. No, dude, it's about the music. It's about what you're listening to. It's about telling me if it's good or bad. An interesting preference is not a universal fact because you believe it doesn't make it true. Daylight, light bulb moment, aha, Dorothy, you're not in Kansas anymore. Sit down and be quiet. Your own personal taste or how you would have done it has no place in reviewing a work that you did not create. Art is essentially the reflection of its creator. Fine, if you recorded this album and did all these things in there and played all the instruments and then came back and told me or told the listener, man, I really wish I would have used a xylophone here instead of that. I wish I would have used this style of drums and this passage would have been, that's fine. That's great. You know, let me know. But if you didn't create it and you're trying to tell the creator how you would have done it, well, again, sit down and be quiet. A work of any type is the sum of the artist's preferences, opinions, and values. So therefore, a critic has no place holding up their own subjectivity as a basis for judgment. I mean, it would be like me sitting down to dinner with you across the dinner table. I look at you and I start saying, What? Are you eating turnips? Ha! I hate turnips! Why are you eating turnips? They taste like they, they taste like old socks washed in dirt. Stop eating the turnips, would you? Seriously, stop the turnip madness. Well, who really cares that they taste like dirt to me and that I don't like them? 
if you like turnips, eat the turnips. Eat all the turnips you want. Please tell me to sit down and shut up, okay? With the turnips. From time to time, I will read reviews of my plays. And for the most part, they are just that. They're reviews. You know, they've got... The name of the play was this. It was written by this guy. It had these actors. This happened and that happened and then it was over and we went home and we were happy. As I was saying, a recent review that I read could qualify as criticism heavy on the personal preference part. Note, I really don't have a problem with criticism, even though what I said may have lead you to think otherwise, but... This particular review or criticism contained a few remarks that kind of blurred into the world of, well, this is what I like, and if they don't do that or have what I like, then I'm not going to like it. And First, let me clarify. The reviewer of this particular review or criticism that I'm referring to was obviously a student, a college student. So I'm going to cut whole lots of slack here. Here's slack being cut. I'm cutting slack. It's excusable for now, okay? I get it. It was probably for extra credit or for a grade. So we're just going to let it go. But I'm going to use it as an example. The review in question stated that other dinner theaters that this person had attended, well, the actors actually serve the food. And this particular production was lacking in this fact. Okay, this was a lack that you sorely missed. Did the actors not serving you the food detract from the plot and ruin it for you? Okay, fine, you know, whatever. I'll give you that. I mean, personally, I have never been to a dinner theater where the actors were also the waiters. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, but it's not something that I personally as a playwright write into my scripts, that the actor should serve the food. It's been my experience as an actor that actors have other things more important to do than to bring out food to the audience. It's not high on the list. Of course, I know there is a joke here about actors and waiters in real life, but I'm just going to let that one pass and write your own. The reviewer also stated that the dinner was actually a self-serve buffet, which might explain why the actors didn't bring food out to the audience because they had to go get it themselves. Self-serve buffet, going out on a limb here, could be wrong, don't know. And this fact that it was a self-serve buffet took away a little bit from the dinner theater experience really that took away a bit that you had to fetch your own food i'm so sorry okay maybe the group this theater group who did this play should have advertised made it clear that the event was a self-serve buffet theater not a dinner theater but a self-serve buffet theater so you could put on tennis shoes Now, an interesting note, side note here, is that the first three dinner theater plays that I was involved with as an actor were, in fact, self-serve buffets. So, to me, in my personal world, this was normal. Self-serve buffets was something I was completely used to experiencing as an actor in theater. See how that works? 
I was experienced with it. I was used to it. The reviewer apparently was not. And it apparently made a difference. To me, psh, I don't care. Didn't make any difference. No one ever complained that them getting up to having to go get a second helping of macaroni and cheese took away from the experience. It just was two separate worlds and two separate thoughts. But hey, life, right? So what does this mean? Well, simply as I pointed out that everyone's experience and preference are not the same. <laughs> Light bulb. Therefore, it can get a bit sketchy when I attempt to state that what I am accustomed to is the way all things and how it should be. If it's not something that lies in my personal preference or in my wheelhouse, then it must be a flaw. It must be wrong, therefore unacceptable. I think many critics are doing it wrong by dipping into their whole subjectivity world, not leaving it objective. It should really have no bearing on the experience or really any place in the review of something. I know, I know, it's just my opinion here that I'm injecting here. I'm trying to be objective as much as I can and letting you form your own opinion. This is just my opinion. Now, okay, how does this, what you've just gone on and on and on about, tie back into creativity? Well, creativity is in and of itself an opinion. It's an observation. I can look at something and I can see multiple possibilities of how this could play out. This ties into one of the questions the one of the students uh, from the virtual online classroom asked me. She asked me, do you find yourselves being, do you find yourself, not yourselves, as if I have a, you know, yourself being creative all the time, not only when you're creating or writing, do you find it your practice to do naturally in the world? And I have to say yes. I mean, because uh, it, as I said, it went back to being an only child and being kind of a creative and letting my imagination run wild. I find that it happens to me actually all the time. So it kind of is almost like a muscle memory. To give you an example, when I would go out uh, in, in, in the world, when we used to remember that time when we could go out in the world uh, with other people, and if I you know, went to a shopping center or, or, or a concert or something, I little game I would play in my head, and it was just for fun to pass the time. I could look at different people as they walk by or that I saw on the street or in other cars and just play this little game of like, oh, I bet you that's a that, that guy's a doctor. No, that guy looks like a lawyer. Well, that guy there with the hunting cap on and the camo, I bet you he does concrete for a living. He works for a construction company. Probably union does, makes a lot of good money. Betty lives out in the rural area and has a 4x4. Or this guy over here, I bet he is an investment banker. Look at that suit. I bet he imported that from Italy. I bet you that he has a really nice house and has four children. It just, you know, that type of thing I would constantly do. Not something that I would focus on, uh, you know, 24-7, but just a little game in my head. So that when I sat down to create something where I had to input characters. I had all this encyclopedic kind of stuff stored away in my head about different types of people so that 
I could come up with characters and I could come up with names for these characters and I could think about their backgrounds because I was doing it pretty much all the time anyway. Now, how this ties in is that when I was out there and I was looking at people, I was forming opinions about them, wasn't I? I was making an opinion about this guy or this girl over here, and I was writing a whole scenario about her background, which wasn't true, but that was my idea or my opinion of this person. So using my opinion or my critique, you know, being a critic of people silently in my head, not out loud in paper, but silently in my head, benefited me when it comes to creating. So when I'm writing a story or I'm writing a play and I have to come up with a, a type of a person or a type of a situation or a type of room that they're in or an experience they're having or a conversation they're having, having these little scenarios that I do silently in my head all the time get a chance to come out, get a chance to come out onto the paper. As I was saying about being a critic or being a reviewer, if you take that idea of forming opinions and subjecting your own kind of a spin on things is kind of a helpful little tidbit to do to be a creative person or develop a creative mind is look at things and look at it from like three or four different ways. So you go outside and you go, hey, there's a tree. Yeah, boy, there's a tree. But look at the way the light's hitting that tree. I wonder where that tree came from. I wonder if somebody coming along a long time ago planted that tree there, or maybe it just germinated from uh, some other tree and a seed was cast, or maybe an animal came along and carrying it on their in their fur and it dropped. It's just thinking of all these different possibilities. It's just constantly coming up with different ideas and opinions about something. That's part of the creative process and something that after you start doing it, you just kind of start doing it. You don't have to think about it. I don't sit down or I don't think, okay, I'm going to be a creative guy now and let's be creative. It's just something I'm doing all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about different possibilities and that's the thing, different possibilities. There's where the creativity comes in. If you just see one thing as it is and that alone, that's kind of boring. But if you look at something and see this possibility or, or, or maybe it's this, which leads you to think, well, or maybe it's that, or maybe this happened, or maybe this happened because of this happened. When that starts happening, that's when your mind is getting creative and that's when your mind is really reeling and coming up with different, different aspects of something. So it's okay to be a critic in your own head and form opinions and form ideas and form incorporate all sorts of things in what you're seeing and write little scenarios that's fine in fact that's where i encourage you that's where the creative mind starts just not having one idea but having many ideas about something and be as open to as many possibilities as possible that's where it all starts opening up and that's where your mind starts training itself to look at things in a open manner in a creative manner and the bottom line here is to be very open-minded and not allow someone to tell you what you should think and how you should feel and how you should be creative just keep it open 
keep swimming, keep swimming, keep swimming in the ocean of possibilities. Inspiration's going to come. Inspiration's going to flow to you. You're not going to be limited by someone's telling you what to do or who to vote for or what music you should listen to because it's the best or this is the worst. Just keep an open mind. When you open that up, creativity is going to pour in and the mind will real. Yeah, you guessed it. Until next time. <laughs>